Hey everyone. Before we open the Bible and look at 1 Peter, we had our Together Sunday, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago. It was a marvellous occasion of fun together and also we spent some time looking at the vision of the church, uh, what God's calling us to, and we took an offering. So it's taken us two weeks to count up all of those pledge forms and to, to come up with an offering total. Um, but I've got it for you here. We haven't got a drummer today, but I'm wondering if there's anyone in the, uh, out of you guys who can actually play the drums who wants to give a bit of a drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> On your knees it is then. Follow Sherry. Okay, you ready? Drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. We, we raised 100... That worked perfectly, didn't it? 107,000... £363. Your, your generosity has gone beyond. It's incredible to, to have raised that money. And uh, God's grace is incredible as well. And I love being part of Grace Church and, and partnering with you guys. Um, as a reminder... This is for, um, for us to send Revelation Church, and we're going to be able to do that now um, with real zeal. Go for it. You'll have, uh, they'll have plenty of money to hit the ground running and to really see people's lives changed and transformed in Manchester. Um, it's also for us to, um, to continue um, working and growing Grace Enterprises. It, Grace Enterprises is the company that employs um, well, radiant cleaners, and we've got 15 or so people working there, people who might have long-term barriers to getting into work, and we're going to be able to use the money to see Grace Enterprises get to self-sufficiency, so that's amazing. And it also really helps with our ongoing partnership with things with Scriven. Um, it's been a delight to have him here with us, and we'll continue to input into and learn from and grow that relationship. So the, the plan is, once we have decided um, the exact amount of money is going to each of those areas, we'll give you guys a full breakdown. It'll probably be in September at our devoted uh, meeting then. But in the meantime, thank you so much. And let's give God a round of applause for... <laughs> Wonderful. Great. Okay, so we are picking up... Uh, 1 Peter again, and we are in chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, and it says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This passage starts with the phrase, the end of all things is at hand. Wow, that's a fairly controversial start, isn't it, to get us going. 
Peter wrote this passage almost 2,000 years ago. Um, and he was saying, the end is at hand then. What was he on about? Do, do we have a problem right from the off? Does that mean that potentially Peter wasn't right? Not only is that the opening statement of this, it's actually the backbone of the whole passage. So we're supposed to respond, knowing that the end is at hand, therefore we're told to be self-controlled. We're told to um, behave and act in certain ways. So it's really important that we actually get clear on what that phrase means. Most commentators, when you uh, dive into it, most commentators are saying that Peter's actually looking at a period of time rather than one point in time. He's saying that because of the resurrection of Jesus, his readers are living in the last stages of God's redemptive plan. The last stages of his redemptive plan. And the goal of that plan is being realized. You know, Jesus would have heard uh, the, the great commission uttered from Jesus. Uh, Peter would have heard the great commission uttered from Jesus' mouth. You know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's God's redemptive plan. Peter would have seen fruit of that in his, in his ministry, but he also knew that that was far from complete. He knew that whilst people were coming into relationship with him, there were many nations which didn't yet know the gospel. It hasn't been fulfilled, but it is in process. Peter, throughout this letter, is encouraging his readers, and it's amazing that we're included in that, aren't we? His readers then, and us, he's encouraging us to look forward, to lift our eyes, to get the right perspective. And so that is what we're going to be doing today. He says that because his readers, because we're living in the last stage of a divinely initiated process, and the outcome has already been assured by the resurrection of Jesus, our behavior should reflect that reality. Our belief in what happens in the end should actually reflect how we live. It's true, isn't it? A clear understanding of where we're going should empower us and give us the urgency that's needed. So with that in mind, a question to kick things off this morning is, are you living with the boldness of knowing what's going to happen to you in the end? Are you living with that boldness? What would that boldness even look like? How, how would it alter your behavior? How should I be living? How would this alter my behavior? Now, many moons ago, three weeks ago, JP talked to us about being in a spiritual battle, wasn't it? It was three weeks ago. We were in the first part of this passage. It was a call for us not to live in the gospel of com uh, comfort. Um, and lots has happened since those, since those three weeks. For a start, we've gone from thinking England are no hopers to thinking that England are going to win the World Cup. Isn't that right? <laughs> yeah, or at least qualify. We'll see after today. Um, we had our Together Sunday. We had Scriven preach an incredible message on choosing to live on the joyful side of life. But we're actually only one verse on from using the war terminology that JP was picking up on three weeks ago. And so we're going to get back into that place. Um, so with that in mind, imagine yourself in your favorite war film or series. Imagine you 
as part of it. Mine is probably the um, early noughties Spielberg classic, Band of Brothers, you know, where you had those guys drop deep into enemy territory. They were in occupied Holland and they had to fight their way back. I'm restraining myself from, oh, I've done it now, doing a, like a <laughs> machine gun sort of pose. It's not, it's not really socially acceptable, but anyway. Um, think, of your, think of yourself in that, on that battlefield. Now, imagine on that battlefield if somehow you had seen the future and you, you knew that in spite of the pain and the suffering and the challenge that you see around you, that actually, ultimately, you're going to be okay. You maybe pictured yourself with sort of um, your, your children, back with your family, whatever. I'd like to think, if that was me, I'd like to think, and you don't, never quite know, do you? But I'd like to think, I would take risks. I would take on the most audacious missions to try and help my fellow comrades. I don't know why I went Russian. Uh, <laughs> my fellow soldiers, that's the word. <laughs> yeah, comrades is fine. To help them out, to save them. You know, to take one person against 500 of the enemy, you'd, you'd take them out. If you knew that you were ultimately going to be okay, you would go for it, wouldn't you? You'd come back, hopefully, the most decorated war hero ever. Knowing the future, knowing that the end of all things is at hand, can give you boldness in the present. The alternative, which is uh, actually the reality of, of war for soldiers, is that the temptation must be to cower at all times. It must be to, to sort of bunker down in a, in a hole somewhere. Even though it's not going to be good for your fellow soldiers, you want to sort of try and hoard and control and keep things to yourself. And it must take incredible steps of boldness to go for it regardless. The point is, it's so much easier to be bold and full of courage when you know the final outcome. And so if you're a follower of Jesus... It's worth reminding ourselves that not only do we know the final outcome, we can live in that place, but also it's worth reminding ourselves that life is like that battlefield. It can be full of challenge. It can be full of pain. It can be full of hurt. This is an outstanding book. I really recommend it. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter, I'll say his surname quickly, Schizero. Um, and... He's, he talks about life and with all of its challenge, and he talks about us having a really healthy detachment with the ups and downs of the world. So actually a sense of, you know, when we're doing really well, um, that not to um, build us up too much, and when we're doing badly, that not to pull us down too much. And he says that there are five essential truths which we must be aware of if we're going to grow into our God-given spirituality. And the five essential truths are fairly hard, but hitting and blunt, and they are this. One, life is hard. Two, you are not that important. Three, your life is not about you. Four, you are not in control. And five, you are going to die. You can all thank me for that real blessing that I've just, uh, just imparted you with. It's true, though, isn't it? Life can be hard. It's tough. It's challenging. You're not that important. We are here to do it together in, to, in community. 
Life is not about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. You're not in control. God is in control, and you're going to die. Yes, we are going to die, but we're going to spend eternity with him if you know Jesus. He doesn't hold back because he knows that we need to detach our identity from the things of this world. Who we are is not dependent, is it, on how much money or power or fame or friends we have. It's not dependent on whether our relationships are a success or not, whether we're married or not. All it is dependent on is our relationship with Jesus. It's as simple as that. So knowing where we're going shapes who we are. Great. The Bible says that whoever believes in Jesus and follows him knows the final outcome. Where we're heading is already assured because of the resurrection of Jesus. The more we live with this perspective that the end of all things is near, the passage says the more self-controlled and sober-minded we can be for the sake of our prayers. And this is vital because what we pray for, what we ask God for, is driven by what we know of him. And then that informs our identity. So, if our understanding of who we are and what God has called us to be is dependent on our relationship with God, the question we have to be asking ourselves is, how can we better understand how he views us? How can we do it? Well, continuing in the army metaphor of this morning... I'll turn quickly to Ephesians 6, which talks about putting on the full armor of God. So we know where we're going. This is for us to start to understand who we are. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We are to gird ourselves in the truth. We are to, to put on the full armor of God. And putting on armor, I'm told, it's an active task, isn't it? It would be strange if one morning we woke up and we're like, oh, I've got a full suit of armor on, isn't that? That's amazing. Isn't that unusual? I wonder what I was doing last night. This is strange. Um, it's, it's an active task. Armor is heavy. We have to work at it. It takes, it takes a while for us to, um, to, to put armor on. And so one of the most simple and yet profound activities you can do is to regularly put the armor of God on it. It's to regularly gird yourself in the truth. Renew your mind. Something that I've, I've done a couple of years ago, and I found it really helpful. This is my rather strange-looking um, journaling Bible. Um, but I wrote down a couple of years ago some of the prophetic encouragements that I'd had over my life, and some of the key verses that have really spoke to me, 
as well as some of what God has called uh, me to do and the role, roles that I've ended up in over the time. And I've written it down, and I um, just at the end of this Bible, and I regularly refer back to it. It's putting on the armor of God. It's reminding myself of who I am in him. And I'll just read you just a few bits of it. Um, so for, my, for myself personally, I've had a number of prophetic words over the years about being a, um, a Barnabas-style person. So Barnabas was a friend of Paul and was a real encourager. Barnabas the encourager. And so some of the, some of the words relate to that. And I said, I'm able to see the best in people and bring out the best in people. My Father in heaven looks down at me and delights. I will use every opportunity I can to share the good news of Jesus. I'm going to do my absolute best to love Emily at all times, that's my wife, with all my heart, and be the best representation of God the Father to my children. And I just, there's, there's lots more too, which I won't bother reading now, but I just remind myself of this really regularly. And for me, personally, it's been incredibly powerful at understanding who I am, seeing me a little bit more like how God sees me. And we can all do that. As I read this through, it affects my behavior, and very, very, very gradually, with many bumps along the roads, I become a little bit more like him. Now, Jesus is our ultimate example, full stop, um, and nowhere is this uh, more the case than in knowing who he is and what he's called to do. So let me read you something from, I'll read John 13 um, and verse 3, okay, and it highlights it perfectly, Jesus understanding who he is, which then enabled him to do what he is to do. It says this, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was, he'd come from God and was going back to God. So Jesus understanding his giftings and talents, knowing where he came from, where he was going, what did he do? He did this. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with a towel that, kept, that was wrapped around him. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, knowing exactly who he was, the Son of God, <laughs> the, the glorious King of Kings, what did he do? He became the ultimate servant leader. He stepped down from heaven to wash the disciples' feet. He was totally secure in who he was, and so it then enabled him to, um, to step into what he's called us to do. And we'll see in a moment the link between this and the 1 Peter passage. Essentially, the second half is a list of what we are called to do, but we can only do it if we know where we're going and who we are. Jesus was fully secure. How do we get to a place where we can be fully secure in who we are? Well, the answer is we can't. <laughs> we can't be fully secure. However, we can let the Holy Spirit change us and, and, and move with us and, and uh, take away some of our insecurities. The disciples, a couple of chapters before in um, 
in that passage were essentially, they were arguing over who was the greatest. You know, they were the exact opposite of, of Jesus and a servant leader. But as Pentecost came um, in Acts and as, as the Holy Spirit worked on them, they became more and more like him. We spend time with God. That's how we become more like him. We get clear on what he says about him. And I found um, writing it out really helpful. And all of this enables us, instead of being puffed up by people's words, you know, whether that's inflation or deflation, depending on what people say, we can get filled up by the Holy Spirit. And that's where transformation takes place. In saying that the end of all things is at hand, Peter is giving us a sense of urgency and a heavenly perspective. And in John 13, we see Jesus' perspective, which made him, humble, made him able to humble himself and serve. In this passage, getting clear on where we're going and who we are drives us to do what we do. It's from a place of security that we're able to effectively put into action what Peter's called us to do. So what has he called us to do? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love is transformative, isn't it? It's utterly transformative. As we love people well, they become more like Christ. And that's what we're called to do as a body of believers here. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know, it's easy, isn't it, to show hospitality to our friends, to people who we get on really easily with. But think of this more like showing hospitality to your family. Um, think about your cousin three times removed who you have absolutely nothing in common with. And we're called to do this because we are family. As the body of Christ, we are family and regardless of how much we have in common with, with each other, we should be inviting people around. Have, have you been inviting people around? People maybe who have come into this church or new students over the last year. It's hard, isn't it? It's relentless, especially when you, you take all this time, you have a great meal, and you don't get a return invite. And you're like, oh, flipping it. Okay, I'll do it again. And then I'll do it again. And then after a while, it just you end up moaning and complaining or just stopping to do it. I've, I've been there. But doing it, having people around, getting to know people, is transformative, but it takes time and it takes effort. What else are we supposed to do? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We're, we're meant to use the gifting that God's given us. You know, the parable of the talents. God's given us stuff to invest in his kingdom. So we're meant to go for it. And this, for some of you, will be a real challenge to step into some of the giftings that God's given you. Rediscover some of them. Look, there's grace on all of us. There's, there's seasons where we are so busy and tired and exhausted, and that's fine. But at the same time, we're supposed to use the giftings that God has given us in his grace for his kingdom. Let's have the band. These are just simply practical outworkings of knowing who we are and where we're going. 
Knowing leads to doing. And then why are we doing this whole thing anyway? Why are we, um, why are we stepping out of our comfort zone and doing this? It says in the scripture, it says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We're doing it for him. We're doing it for his glory. To him belong all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We've got a good few minutes now. And as I've been preparing this message and speaking to you uh, today, I felt God prompting me about a few things. And um, hopefully he will have been prompting you all about a few things. Our Holy Spirit would have been at work in you, maybe in three particular areas which are outlined now. And what we'll do is we'll, um, we'll send for a while and we'll have a response as well. I think it would be really helpful for people to come to the front and for others to lay hands and pray. The first area is that some of you don't actually know what's going to happen to you in the end. You're not, you're not certain of that reality. And today could be the day where you become certain of that reality. You become certain of that, that you will spend eternity with Jesus if you give your life to him. It's as simple as that. You go to a place of eternal life with him. And that would be an absolute privilege to pray for. It'd be so much more significant than England um, getting into the qualification settings of the World Cup. Even more significant than that, Duncan. Yeah. Um, so we'd love to pray for you in a minute. Some of you might have forgotten the intimacy with God that you can have. And it might have even started to affect some of your understanding of your identity in him, who you are in him. And I think for, for some of you, God will want to do some work on your identity of who you are in him. And it would be, again, it would be great to pray with you about that. And finally... The, the, the whole eternal challenge of hospitality. And this is, this is a challenge for all of us. You know, you're used to, you used to have people around regularly and you simply stopped. And you thought, oh, I'll let that be the case of our church welcome meals or something along those lines. But actually, if we're going to be an effective community of believers, we're to welcome each other into people's homes. So that might be a challenge for you. And if you want prayer for that, we'd love that to happen. So... We're, um, we'll sing for a few minutes and then we'll call people to the front.